Welcome to MMO, the Mike Mac and Oscar show. They cover films that win the gold, but now we're talking Pixar films for all of these shows. From Toy Story 1 up through Toy Story 4, this is the MMO, the Pixar Rewatch Show. And we're back. And welcome to Nick Central, where you get all your hottest NBA free agency takes. I'm your co-host, Mike Juan. This is co-host also, Mike. So we talked for what, like an hour and a half before we hit record? We're probably 45 minutes or so, about yeah. About the Knicks situation with Kevin Durant. So we, we broke through basketball on this last <laughs> MMOW. And yes, we, and we got a response to it. We did. People yeah. liked it. Yeah. So that was fun. I'm excited to talk Toy Story 2 because this is our wheelhouse. Yes. Uh, we got hot takes on this one. We do, and we're got to reset history a little bit based yeah. on uh, what came out at the time talking about this movie. But Toy Story Two is where we are actually at today for our another entry into our Pixar rewatch series. As we wrap up, we only have the Cars and Toy Story Three left after this one. Before four, and if we choose to do Cars, <laughs> it's not looking good. Next show, it's not looking good. It looks like punting it down the road again. We'll get into all that and more. If you've not joined us before. For for a Pixar rewatch episode, what they are is basically akin to our Oscar sprint profiles. They're two parts of a review, or two reviews for the price of one. The first half, if you've not seen these movies, don't worry. It's all non-spoilers for the first half. We talk about the production value. We talk about the, the specs, the box office, all that fun stuff that went into the movies. We also highlight in the non-spoiler section the Pixar business history, the history of the company, what's taken in snapshots in time, as where they were and where they stood at every one of these movies' debuts. Then we have a spoiler warning, which is usually just a little clip from the movie itself that leads to the spoiler section. The second half of all these Pixar episodes are spoiler-filled. We talk about the plot, the ins and outs. We highlight the heartbreaks, the happiness, taking our happy pills that all came along with all these Pixar movies. As well, we are highlighting the 22 rules of screenwriting success that Pixar debuted some years ago that have permeated their way throughout screenwriting classes across this country. That is what substantiates a Pixar rewatch series episode, such as today's is covering Toy Story 2. And the way we start all these episodes is Mike is going to run down the cast and crew. So there's a wild production story to this one. I'm going to leave all that to Mike. Suffice it to say, Toy Story 2 was co-directed by John Lasseter, Ash Brannon, and Lee Unkrich. Two of those names you recognize. Yes. Ash Brannon would go on to do like Surf's Up. He would leave Pixar and do other things. He would also be the main character in the Pokemon cartoon series. Oh, is he? No, it's Ash Ketchum, but it's basically the same. Pokemon, everybody. Pokemon. <laughs> I know about that as well. I saw the movie. I paid attention, of course. Mike, uh, this cast, we have Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Don Rickles, Jim Varney, Wallace Shaw, John Ratzenberger, yeah. Annie Potts, and Laurie Metcalf, all returning from Toy Story 1. We know their faces. We know their voices. We know their characters. We love them all. Yes. As for the new cast members, Mike, we have Joan Cusack. She plays Jessie, the yodeling cowgirl there. My favorite of the Cusack children. She should be a voice in every animated film, though, right? That what is a... one of the highlights of this series is yeah. that how good Pixar is at nailing down people that aren't traditionally voice actors and getting them to voice act and having them knock it out of the park. The most distinctive voice ever. Yeah. And she's like... She's mastered baby talk, but to adults, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think that's how she speaks. <laughs> All right. That's just the way I think. It's, she, I love her voice. Fraser Crane himself, Kelsey Grammer. Another powerful voice. The stinky Pete in this one. Perfect. Newman from Seinfeld. <laughs> 
Wayne Knight is the chicken man. So Al, Al's toy barn, they had to have copied that character basically off Wayne Knight's physique Newman character at the time, right? Yeah, definitely. Do you think that insulted Wayne Knight when he saw it on screen? No. Because <laughs> Al's supposed to be no, this no. like ugly, oversized antagonist <laughs> of the movie and that everyone's supposed to hate him just on sight. Look, are, are, if they make cartoon characters out of us... <laughs> And we look like... I'd better look like He-Man. <laughs> if we look like Al's Toy Boy and Al, we'd be fine. Yeah. Give me the money. <laughs> Show me the money. <laughs> All right. And Estelle Costanza from Seinfeld. Yes. Estelle Harris is Mrs. Potato Head. What a voice she has. Another beautiful, very distinguished voice. So uh, otherwise, you get Arlie Ermey. A bunch of the Pixar animators, they're all back doing their little bit parts. But that's it, Mike. Yeah, most of the original crew, which wasn't always the case going into it. We'll talk about the story of the Pixar business. Now, again, we're kind of going back in time. That's important to highlight and remember, even though it's kind of an obvious thing. We've been doing the Cocos, the Incredibles 2s of the world, so we're kind of nearing up to 2019, and now we're resetting the clock, not only to 99 when this movie came out, but before that even, back to 97-ish for this story. So just keep that in mind as I'm talking about it. Pixar days of futures past. Exactly, yeah. All right, I'm going to tell you now that you Usually for these sections, I do tons of research. I'll start on Wikipedia and go through the Wikipedia sources and then go through the Wikipedia sources sources. For this one, though, I really feel like the Wikipedia page for Toy Story 2 is so well written and thoroughly explained that it kind of answered any questions I would have, at least with regards to production and animation. I did other research about the business side and the contractual side between Disney and Pixar. Mm -hmm. But I I implore you all, if you're interested in any other stories and anecdotes that Mike and I are going to talk about with regards to the production of this movie, do go read the Wikipedia page because it's chock full of really good information that a lot of it comes out of this book that's not available online anyway, the, the history of Pixar book. So I just wanted to bring that to everyone's attention to start before I go on to say that Toy Story 1, success. A Bug's Life, success. Toy Story 2, not originally intended and okayed essentially as a money grab mm-hmm. as Disney was in the market of greenlighting straight-to-video sequels of beloved properties at the time and such was the call here. Mike, did you own Return of Jafar? I did. Yeah, I did It too. wasn't bad. I either. liked it. I remember enjoying it. Wasn't there an Aladdin 3 that came out too? That Robin yeah, Williams King came back of Thieves. for? There was King of Thieves. Was that was Robin Williams in that? Do you remember? I don't remember if he was in. I remember there was a Lion King two. Yes, and the Lion King two and a half, I believe. Was. This was strange because Pixar goes into this whole deal with Disney, and they're like, "All right, so do we use our A list guys now? Do we use Laster? Do we use Andrew Stanton? Do we use Pete Doctor? I mean, they're the future of the company. They used Ash Brannon. Yeah, collector and, of Pokemon. And even then, it was kind of. A call not in Pixar's wheelhouse. Because of the original contract between the two companies, Disney had full rights to go on a sequel because Disney retained the story and character rights, which Pixar would have a huge problem with coming up, which I'm going to highlight in this section. But this was Disney's call that kind of left Pixar holding the bag because originally Pixar didn't even know if this was going to be a 3D animated movie. Yeah, I don't want to be unfair to Ash Brannon either. He may have thought, like, all right, I got to make something better than The Return of Jafar. I gotta make right. something at that level because this is direct to video animated sequel kind of right. thing, and I don't have to have a, a story that's gonna be nominated for an Oscar necessarily. And right. they had a lot of cool stuff involved, so we'll talk. Yeah, he was when he was expecting, like we say, a VHS release. Toy Story Two was originated in concept to be, like I said, straight to VHS sequel, and that was really all the thought that had gone into the idea thus far. Once Disney decided it was a go, aside from obviously having no story to work with, there were bigger questions surrounding the film 
film after its green light, such as would they even be able to afford Tom Hanks and Tim Allen to reprise their roles as Woody and Buzz? And who would animate the thing as the majority, if not entirety, of the Pixar team, some 300 plus animators at the time, were all completely involved in the making of A Bug's Life and there wasn't any manpower to be spared. Again, do read the Wikipedia page for the backstory of the production on this movie. It describes the story of Lasseter seeing a young child in the airport holding a tight to its Woody doll, leading to the feeling Lasseter tried to honor throughout the production process of this movie, to Lasseter's wife being the inception point for the Jesse character in Toy Story 2 as she pleaded with him to have a strong female toy with more depth than Bo Peep, uh, to the infamous Story Summit meeting Lasseter held at his house with the creme de la Pixar creme and Andrew Stanton, Pete Docter, and Joe Ranft and others from Disney, where the entire plot of the movie basically had to be reworked over one weekend at Lasseter's house and the film essentially started from scratch story-wise with less than a year to go until its debut. So they do a big segment on this in the Pixar story that's documentary on Netflix mm -hmm. right now and it's really fun to watch because it looked like they were very unhappy on the Pixar side with the way it was turning out and Jobs and, and all the story people were very upset with Brandon and basically he got demoted let's say. This sounds like just a money grab on Disney's part with no regard for how Pixar would feel about one of their properties being sequeled. It's strange because they, you know, the Pixar did not think this was going to be the, their third movie. They thought it was going to be... They had be, no plans for it at all. Right. Yeah, they went into the deal specifically with Disney saying no sequels. And then Disney is like, this is the next big thing. Let's make $800 million worldwide, whatever. So John Lasseter, exhausted off of A Bug's Life, right. is just... He has to be convinced. He kind of... To me, it read like he felt it was his duty. Yeah. Like he took it over even though it wasn't really anyone's asking him to take over. He To me, it read to me the story that John Lasseter felt an immense source of pride in his work and said, look, if our name's attached to this, if Pixar's attached to this, this is going to be Pixar quality. It's going to be, it's going to be exactly what people expect from Toy Story 1. We're going to keep that lineage going, even though this kind of was foisted on us by the parent company at the last second mm -hmm. with no warning. But after they agree to do it, fine. Lasseter's back in, mm -hmm. Unkrich is in. All right, fine. Nine months, they thought they were going to be able to stretch that. And then Jobs is like, no, we can't even stretch that. And so they're like, oh my God, we're going to have a nine-month production for an animated film. The last one took us six, seven years. Yep. All right, fine. They, they're able to do it. They're able to do it, Mike. I wonder if this was like the trial by fire that the company needed because uh -huh. they literally had to split everything up. Yeah. Like all their jobs overlapped, but the director could not be an auteur. They had to do each little job and then talk about it every day to make sure, sure they're on, on point. And it was a wild documentary segment in, in on that Netflix and I, I encourage you all to watch it because it looked like they saved this sucker last second. Yeah, they really Pixar saved Disney a couple times yeah. <laughs> in their history. And Pixar saved Pixar. This yeah, time. yeah, that's also true, too. Uh, there's also the tidbit in that Wikipedia uh, summary about how the source files for Toy Story 2 were accidentally <laughs> deleted, and 90% of the film was lost after two years of work, but just happened to be recovered because a technical director who was home on maternity leave at the time just happened to have the same files saved on her home computer. Oh, thank God. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so, this it's like anything that could go what's that rule that law anything that can go wrong will go wrong Murphy's law yeah and, and 
yet still, they put together a respectful film at the end of this. Yeah, I mean, otherwise it is Toy Story, The Return of Jafar. (laughs) They're in big big trouble. So from now on, though, uh, from what I'm going to focus on for the remainder of this section is how this film, Toy Story 2, would be the starting point of the tension that would come to a boiling point during the production to Cars between Pixar and Disney, leading to, ultimately, Pixar taking a break from Disney altogether. Mm. Very Ross and Rachel of them. We were on a break! (laughs) The origin of the Disney-Pixar relationship goes back to that original deal we described in this section during our Toy Story 1 episode. Disney contracted Pixar to make three movies for the House of Mouse for $26 million total. That was Mm. the original contract. It was Pixar's impression that the films would be any films made by the company, and thus... To Pixar's belief, because they had just finished work on A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2 would have been the third film and satisfied the agreement between the two companies. Disney's like, we gotcha! Yeah, you won't believe this. Guess what we want you to do? Disney uh, uh, said no. (laughs) They saw things differently, as it were, and they cited that by three films, what Disney actually seemed to mean was three original properties, and that Toy Story 2 wouldn't count. One, because it was a sequel, which Disney had the right to greenlight in the first place, based on the previous agreement. And two, had really only become a Pixar theatrical release at all because, like we talked about, John Lasseter chose to take over the project, which forced Pixar as a whole to bust their ass in order to have the film meet the high-quality standards the company had set for itself. And after all, the film was okayed as a straight-to-home video release, and the only reason it was going to theaters at all was due to how great Pixar managed to make certain reels look during production once they were able to focus solely on Toy Story 2, with A Bug's Life having been finished. So instead of continuing this debate or risking litigation as to which companies interpret interpretation of the original deal was proper, Disney instead offered to renegotiate with Pixar and work towards a new deal altogether. This new deal came to fruition in 1997, when the sides agreed on a new 10-year deal, which would cover five more movies for Pixar to make for Disney, uh, making the two companies equal partners along the way across the board on films, related products, home video, merchandise, and made-for-video sequels. It would also take out the Disney being a able to green light a sequel on a Pixar property without Pixar's having said okay as well. That is fascinating because it puts them on more of an even keel. Which they needed because Pixar was not so subtly telling the media they were upset with the original deal, which is probably fair considering all the work they were doing. Yeah, and also they had two years in between films, which is reasonable. Now they can plan. They really needed a longer-term plan, Pixar. And sound like they figured on one with Stanton and Doctor, you know, long-term with Monsters, Inc. there and whatnot. But Mm -hmm. they were working on stories, right? They're animators who are working on stories, and they didn't really have the production house to handle the, all right, two years, everyone, boom, sequel, spring it on you without the gestation, what I'm trying to say, of that three- or four-year story period. And Pixar needed Disney at first, don't forget. This was a company of like 40-something people when it was stripped down, barely surviving, surviving essentially on the the back of Steve Jobs' charity until Disney came along with that $26 million deal originally and it reinvigorated the entire company and they were able to hire people and make Toy Story 1. So it wasn't, you know, did Disney have the better end of the deal? Of course, but that's because Disney was Disney. They're going to have the better end of the deal. Disney's reaping the benefits of of a great deal for that. Right. However, Pixar, if they knew they were going to be that successful, then okay, fine. They wouldn't have needed Disney as much. 
but they didn't know they were going to make... They didn't know they were going to reinvent the industry of animation. While Toy Story 2 would not account as one of the five pictures on this new deal, a decision was made for the profits and finances of this film to be handled in the same way as these five films that would be established in the agreement. Uh, This new deal placated a number of issues that were coming up between Disney and Pixar as a result of Toy Story 2's production. Pixar was already wildly unhappy with the balance of profit sharing based on the previous deal, citing that Disney was taking a majority of profits plus their distributor fee of an additional 10 to 15 percent on every film even though they were primarily just doing the marketing and distribution as well pixar wanted to avoid another situation where films such as toy story 2 would fall between the cracks of the previous deal where disney who retained all story and character rights had sole control over whether to green light a sequel and also whether a sequel picture would be counted as one of the originally contracted films the timing of this deal was a little curious in that all the consternation behind the scenes stress that has been happening as a result of the original pixar deal when the reality was this deal was announced in February of 97, taking a look from 3,000 feet, the only Pixar film in existence to the masses as of February of 97 was Toy Story 1. Okay. A Bug's Life came out in 98. This movie comes out in 99. So a lot of this was was touch and go. And, you know, I think Pixar was right to want to nego- negotiate, renegotiate personally. But also you, you can see Disney didn't have to play ball here. They were going to get Toy Story 2 and the rest of Toy Story 2, if nothing else. And they kind of had A Bug's Life in the can already. They had work on Monsters, Inc. happening already. Well, you know, call it honesty or call it playing chess while Pixar's playing checkers. Disney seemed to be a little ahead of the game here. But they realized what they had and they wanted to make Pixar happy, I feel like. I think they recognized that, all right, one hit is one hit. But when you come out with two in a row and you got the size and, and you got the technology that Pixar was innovating right. with... They, they definitely been on the on the winning side here. So that made some sense. Disney recognized how good they were. Yeah. So uh, that's the start of what would come to a head uh, in our next Pixar episode, whenever that may be, with the Cars backstory. Absolutely. Michael? One production nugget. The crew was totally overworked, even though they were segmented. <laughs> yeah. They, they were overworked to the point where the company allegedly had to stop paying them overtime they could pay them overtime but they had to stop they had to draw the line at certain levels of overtime just so the people would go home it got so bad that one of the employees was supposed to drop his kid off at daycare and when he arrived at the at pixar he left his kid in the car in the parking lot realized this or i don't know how this became realized but the kid was there for a while, yeah. and they had to call paramedics. The kid was fine, but I mean, this my is God. In the California heat, too. There's pride in this, obviously, by the workers of Pixar. They want to make a great film. It yeah. seems to be they're taking it upon themselves to get this done on their own accord without Pixar's higher-ups pressuring them and saying, you know, you have to stay and work on this past overtime. That's a nice story. You never like to hear workers being overworked and overtired and getting so many ailments attached to it, especially not... A lot of them got carpal tunnel. A lot of them got, you know, to to the point where they're physically, they were losing it. Just seemed to be one of those things where the guy was going crazy with work. Yeah. Uh, God, bless these people. All right, some specs for Toy Story. Directed, a lot of specs, a lot of writer-director credits here. John Lasseter, Ash Brannon, and Lee Unkrich both getting co-director credits. Lasseter, Pete Docter, Brannon, and Andrew Stanton each get original story by credits. Stanton, Rita Sow, Doug Chamberlain, and Chris Webb each get screenplay by credits. And Joe Ranft gets based on the characters created by credits. But IMDb also says he's uncredited, which 
makes as much sense to you as it does to me, I'm sure. Who do you think's at Lassiter's house? Doctor, Stanton, Unkrich, Lassiter? Unkrich wasn't listed, at least not in the Wikipedia article, which surprised me. Because he's all over right. all the special feature stuff. It seemed like he's a major player. So maybe he was... And then he gets a bunch of jobs later. Right. So maybe he was... He's at the house. He's waiting in the pool while everyone else was meeting at the patio around him. And he's just yelling, Mrs. Potato Head <laughs> says, Oh my God! <laughs> Film debut Can you November imagine if he's 30th. just Mrs. Potato Head the whole he's time? He's just doing a Stel Getty. Hey! <laughs> Not a Stel Getty, but yeah. <laughs> How about this one? <laughs> Get your angry eyes! You do a great Mrs. Potato Head, by the way. I know, I do. I know, I do. Always have. (laughs) November 13th, 1999 at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood is when this film debuted. It went wide in the U.S. November 24th, 11 days later, 92-minute runtime on a G rating. Walt Disney Pictures and Pixar Animation Studios and production companies with Buena Vista back doing the distribution since we've taken a trip back in time for this episode. Mm. Randy Newman obviously does the music, Sharon Callahan the cinematography, and Edie Blayman, David Ian Salter, and Lee Unkrich each getting edited by credits, so there's your boy Unkrich showing up again. Film had a $90 million production budget, which already was a step back, as even though it was Pixar's third movie, its budget was $30 million less than it was for Pixar's second film, A Bug's Life, but it would still go on to be the highest grossing film for the company yet. Craziness. Craziness. You're asking me to do the impossible (laughs) in nine months. Here's less money to do it. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. And then they turn on an even higher profit. $497 million worldwide box office with 245.85 of that coming domestically. When the film went wide, it made $57.4 million for its wide opening weekend, which mm-hmm. was nearly double the wide opening of Toy Story 1's $29.1 million opening. And in 1999, Nine. yeah. it's more than Secret Life of Pets 2. and Yeah. Yeah, this film way more than Dark Phoenix (laughs) and more than Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I think by a little bit. I think so as well. I I believe that to be true. Yeah, this is a a heavy hitter. Despite the worrisome backstory, the film came out as a success amongst critics. Seven point nine IMDb score on four hundred sixty nine thousand reviews. A perfect one hundred Rotten Tomato score. Come on. Yeah, give me a. I mean, it's it's great. It's fun. It's fun. It's a hard movie to dislike. I guess if you're going to say strictly by the tomato meter, whether it's, you know... Thumbs up, thumbs down. Right. Then it's... I I can see that. Okay. But this wouldn't be the first hundred, I would cite. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. (laughs) We're going to talk about what you mean. 166 critic reviews to go along with there. It also scored an 86% audience score on nearly 1 million reviews. And an 88 meta score on Metacritic tied with Up for 8th place amongst all Pixar films there. It finished as the third highest domestic box office and worldwide box office earner of 1999 behind Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, and The Sixth Sense, though it was the highest G-rated film of the year in both categories, and its $245 million domestic box office is still good for the 10th highest domestic earner Pixar has ever put out all time, despite its having been released to the third smallest number of screens for any Pixar film ever. So this was a huge per-theater winner amongst all the Pixar releases. So they were, like, thinking this was not going to be a massive hit either. And so everything was going against this movie. It just It's just a credit to how amazing Pixar is and what a, the type of company John Lasseter ran, essentially. Well, whatever Disney was using to track this, because they're the distributor. Yeah. They put this out in less theaters, and it made more money, double the money. Yeah. The third least amount of theaters for any Pixar film ever. Now, it was the third Pixar film, so maybe they put it out to as many theaters as could oh, be. Oh, that's a tricky step. But, All right. still, it made a lot more money than a lot of other Pixar movies, so 
It did well on a per-theater average over time. The animated feature category at the Academy Awards would still be a year away from the 99-2000 show, and thus this film would not win an Oscar that year for its efforts, though it was in fact nominated in one category, that of Best Original Song, again for Randy Newman's When She Loved Me, which it lost out to Tarzan's You'll Be In My Heart from Phil Collins. All of this despite the fact that Toy Story 2 actually won the Best Motion Picture Comedy or Musical category at the 2000 Golden Globes, hmm. where it would become only the second animated film of all time alongside The Lion King to win either Best Motion Picture category at the awards. So this is the Golden Globe saying, we really like Toy Story 1. <laughs> we were not in on that. A couple years back, we should have been in on that. That's on us. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, the Globes. HFP. Plot premise, Mike reads, When Woody is stolen by a toy collector, Buzz and his friends set out on a rescue mission to save Woody before he becomes a museum toy property with his roundup gang, Jesse, Prospector, and Bullseye. Expectations, Mike, for Toy Story 2 going into this rewatch. So this is where I'll bring it up, what we talked about in the pre-production. I remember seeing this and... Thinking at the time it was better than the original. I'm totally the opposite. I remember seeing this and liking it, not loving it. Really? So it's very strange. That is strange. Yin and yang. Yeah, I, and I, I remember, and even doing the research for this, I saw some articles that cited how this is the rare sequel that's better than the original. I remember I felt that way when I saw it in theaters. I was expecting that going back to it. The last 20 minutes of this movie are ridiculous. <laughs> They're ridiculous in the same way that some of the other ones have yes. been. In a, in, a, in a way, it's very much Finding Dory. Yes. Uh, it would have worked perfectly for like that Return of the Jafar animated right. sequel, right? right? So Agreed. that's why I, I get it. And where they soup this story up, we're going to talk about it in spoilers. I think it's very telling. So we'll get to there. All right. I enjoyed this movie much more than I th- remembered just based on the comedy with it. So I laughed a lot rewatching this thing, just on the facial expressions, like Woody watching TV, and he's just like, oh. <laughs> like, he's getting his ego stroked a little bit after he goes through some tough times in their act one. Act two, he's getting his ego stroked. And he, Tom Hanks, I mean, petting the dog. Are you kidding me? I like Buster, the dog. The dog. Oh, my <laughs> God, my favorite thing ever. So this movie really makes me laugh, so I'm, I'm happy about that. I guess we can dive into production values i only got a few things today a lot of the special features uh, talked about like fundamentals like they're still introducing computer animation to people right this is only the third film they're they're still developing all this technology so this is really cool because they had all these featurettes talking about like one two three four what's the basic structure of what we do stage one is storyboarding Stage two is the layout where they use digital cameras inside the digital setting and they create like the framework of that setting and the framework of each character, like the main body. It's not stick figures. It's filled out more than that. But it's like, all right, the layout is the fundamentals of what we're doing here. But it doesn't have all the... It doesn't have a face. Like, you just have, like, at the end of a match. A right. burnt match is, the, is uh, So it's head. horrifying. It's horrifying, <laughs> yes. But it's fun to watch on the special features. Animation is when they bring the characters to life, and they, they do a whole wide shot version, and then they do each face, and they animate the shit out of it. Oh, wow. Finally, you got shaders and lighting. And you shade everything, and you light every set, and then you got all the texture. The lighting process is astounding to me. I don't have... A brain that can comprehend what it means to light an animated world. Yeah. I don't understand 
how you do that and how that's a thing. Well, they, I think they set it up as a program in the computer, and that's I would a, think that's a big deal for it. And then they made it more they made it very cartoonish, caricature friendly at this stage. Later on, when we get to Ratatouille. How does all the those light ref- know what light reflecting looks like? Well, they set all the rules in there because they you can't you can't like literally light every frame, like it's hand drawn animation anymore. It's I was impossible. always under the impression that there's like one light in a computer, <laughs> and it lights your screen. Yeah, <laughs> and you control how bright it is. Or they, not. they they should have just draw a big yellow sun <laughs> right. at the end and with the rays. I don't understand this at all. I agree with you. I don't understand it either. But I watched some people who told me they understood it. Good. So I think I could speak with confidence. Good. I'm glad one of us can. <laughs> Mike, uh, the opening sequence was actually the set of a Bug's Life, the big cavern that Flick jumps on the little whatever dandelion oh, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and flies across where there's the big rescue sure yeah yeah. i also read that there was a scene early in this movie where woody ends up being discarded or thrown Mm -hmm. in a place by andy that Mm -hmm. was part of special features from toy story one so yeah that i I was saving that for non-script thoughts thanks for reading my document it's been a long day I have four paragraphs on Stinky P. I guess you read nothing about it. <laughs> I read the first couple okay. pages. Stop yelling at me. I, uh, yeah, no, the, the dream sequence was from Toy Story 1 and the opening sequence with Buzz, all from Toy Story 1, and they were very upset. They couldn't include those two things in number one. Huh. But when they kind of, I guess we you know touch on the non-spoiler script thought here again, when they kind of said, all right, we're doing a sequel. We know what a good sequel does. A good sequel is the same movie again, with one twist. Right. So instead of Buzz getting lost and Woody in the Andy's room gang has to save Buzz, right. we're going to have the no, vice versa. Get Woody, yeah. We're going to save Woody. So they knew they wanted that. And that's a strong start for, all right, just sequel formulas. But then they were upset that the last movie they couldn't show Buzz in action. Now they do. They're upset that they couldn't have a dream sequence for Woody because they really want to get inside his head. Now they do. So that's that was fun. I just want to say one more thing about production values, Mike. The sound, the again, the special features are really fun because they talk about, and I forget the designer's name, forgive me, talk about accentuating sound effects at certain times in the movie because when dialogue's going on, you don't want to accentuate the sound effect. You just want it to serve as in a background mm-hmm. role. When, it, when there's music being played and the music has a crescendo or you have Randy Newman or Robert Goulet or Sarah McLachlan singing, obviously Sarah McLachlan is just her song, but when you have them singing or when the music is turned up, you don't want to accentuate the sound effect. You only want to accentuate the sound effect in between other stuff. So even if it's not realistic, you got to come up with reasons for doing that. So they would put other things involved. They would make other sounds. It was just fascinating. It seemed obvious, but it becomes much more complicated than than it really is. I'm very ill-equipped to be an animator, I'm realizing. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I can use like Word documents and Google documents. I can do one of those. And write words onto them. <laughs> I can I, I can really use one and a half of those. Right. I don't right. I don't use Microsoft Word anymore, but I can change Microsoft Word docs once in a while into PDFs. Once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> Good. It's a skill. But I have a Google Chromebook, so. Right. Well. Microsoft Word. I haven't used Microsoft Word in years. Well, I guess what we're saying is don't expect the MMO animated film anytime soon. No, <laughs> never. All right, so perform. Let's talk about the characters real quick. Yeah. The intro into Jesse. I wanted to ask you a question. What's the difference between her and Glenn Close from Fatal Attraction? <laughs> oh, 
Oh, there's some. <laughs> I don't see much. I really don't see much. No, I'm kidding. But initially, she is a nuts. Yeah, she's crazy. But she's also, not that this helps my case, but she's desperate. Some of these toys exist in a living hell. They really do. So the one's in storage. Okay. And that's introduced in this movie. Right. It's just like you're in isolation. You're in solitary confinement for years. Yeah. Torture. Yeah. Mind torture. I didn't think about that. Yeah. It's a good point. And they show these characters like being nutty because yeah, of Yeah, you know, like losing their mental capabilities and faculties. I mean, yeah. If they could just shut off and stop to be, maybe it would make sense. But <laughs> no, we had... Well, they do shut off, right? They do shut when off. When humans are around, I isn't guess. that... Do they lose consciousness? I don't know. I don't know either. Are they, are they the diving bell and the butterfly right. in a box right. in the attic <laughs> on the shelf? That is terrifying to me. Mike Bullseye, an adorable new addition. So the whole Woody's Roundup gang. Stinky Pete is kind of funny. He's got pros and cons. I got pros and cons to him. I, I like Stinky Pete. I kind of like him too. I like Kelsey Grammer. I like Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. I watched all of Frasier last year. I ever tell you about that. <laughs> You've mentioned it once or twice. Finally, I think you get a lot of funny moments by just reversing things in the first movie with the Andy's Room gang. And I think you get additions with Mrs. Potato Head and the, the puppy dog and stuff. I got stuff work. to say about that. I thought it could have been held uh, handled better and it could have been for a better film. There's some worse scenes. Yeah. But Rex being kind of courageous. But he's not. He's fun. <laughs> he, like, he doesn't grow at all. He just does things by mistake. Yeah. <laughs> but he also, there's a... You know, there's a parody to certain dinosaur movies. Right. <laughs> okay. We got to get into spoilers. We also like video games. All right, let's go. All right. Spoilers ahead. Yard sale. Yard sale. Yard sale. Guys, wake up, wake up. There's a yard sale outside. Yard sale. Sarge, emergency roll call. Sir, yes, sir. Red alert. All civilians fall into position now. Single file. Let's move, move, move. Here, Potato Head, Mr. and Mrs. Here, Troikas, check, 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 check. I hate yard sales. Ah, someone's coming. This is a spoiler warning. This is the spoiler section for Toy Story 2 as part of the Pixar rewatch series brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause. Go watch the movie. We'll be here waiting for you when you come back. If you've seen the movie already, if you just want to hear our thoughts on the spoilers or if we've hyped up the spoiler section so much, you cannot go another minute without hearing what happens in this movie. This is where you want to be. It's all spoilers all the time for Toy Story 2 as part of the Pixar rewatch series brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Mike, we start the spoiler sections with a rule to screenwriting success from Pixar. We're on a hot streak. The last couple have matched up well with the movies that they've uh, described to. This does match up right. fairly well. I think it would match up better with Toy Story 3, but a lot of things do because that's a really strong script. Right. But here it is. This is rule number 16, and it reads, What are the stakes? Question mark. Give us a reason to root for the character. What happens if they don't succeed? Stack the odds against... So I think that's a strong yeah, that makes fundamental. Sense. That's that's a strong rule overall for writing any any kind of script. So must see films, a channel on YouTube, follow them because they did a really cool five minute explanation of this on how Toy Story worked to fix 
the problem with Woody's dilemma uh, going into the third act of this film. Because the big problem with the script is that it just seemed like an escape movie or a rescue movie with no stakes. Like, yeah, the t- we all know that saving Woody from just sheer death and lo- getting lost and never getting home is bad. And right. we all know that finding Woody and saving him is good. You can't have a choice in a movie between good and bad. Never works. You got to have two goods or two bads. You got to have irreconcilable goods where you're choosing between those two, or you're gonna have the lesser of two evils where you're choosing something else. If you ever have good and bad, then the audience knows what they want to do. So to create a true dilemma, so my script, good versus bad, needs some work. It needs a little work. All right. You know, bad <laughs> kind of has to be good in a way. What? Or bad, or good has to be bad. Okay. You can twist it. It's yeah, not, you don't right. have that far to go. So the gang lacking a leader aren't stakes enough? So when you talk about stakes, you want to connect them to the dilemma. I'm using this in the whole context of the dilemma for the third act dilemma. So Mm -hmm. what was your question again? So this rule is that they need to have stakes. Yes. Okay. So did they not do a good enough job building up the stakes that Woody might be going to Japan and never see the toys again, leaving the toys without a leader? Because I would think those would be the stakes, right? Well, the whole thing with, with Woody is they, they had to build up the fact that Woody would want to go to Japan. And they did an okay job okay. with it. That, that's going to be my argument here. And here's what they did. Number one, Woody gets a tear. Andy leaves him behind from cowboy camp. Woody's pr- pride is crushed. Number two, Woody is put on the shelf like Wheezy. And what they added was the character of Wheezy. And this video, Must See Films, did a great job with other movies, 500 Days of Summer, other films. I forget what the other one they referenced. You add a character. uh, Oh, they mentioned Looper. You add a character that you take to the end of the consequence, all right? That you're going to give basically the same scenario where you can have the same consequence to your main character. So, bottom line is. Wheezy is a is a someone who's put on the shelf. It was a toy that was put on the shelf. What happens to Wheezy? He gets left up there in isolation, and then he gets added to the yard sale. That's Wheezy's fate, unless Woody changes it. Right. right. So Woody's a hero. So we're already told what Woody's fate can be. Now he's a much more beloved toy than a stupid little squeaky penguin. But we have now precedent. So you set precedent for the film. Now the nightmare shows a lot as well. So Woody's ego is just crushed by the whole thing. And then you have the antagonism, ironically, give Woody everything he needs. And Spider-Man 3 is how you don't do this. And (laughs) Toy Story 2 is how you do do this, in a way. Because he's being tempted by the wrong choice. But you have to coherently and emotionally tempt him to do that. So you do that with all the fun stuff with the Woody's Roundup gang being so alluring to Woody. So when you say he's being tempted by the wrong choice, the conflict in this is really what is the purpose of toys, right? In a way, yeah, because it's it's temporary. They're asking questions about mortality in a way. Like, you know, some, the toys are a metaphor for that in, in a way. Like a toy's lifespan right, I would think, is short. I would think picking the wrong choice in this conflict, choosing to go to Japan, is a way in which toys would live forever. Yeah, but in isolation, without being loved or loving. and Okay, yeah. except they'd be together in this case. They would be together while that exhibit is up, which is they, what they don't mention. So what I don't love about this is that 
there's a clear solution, and the solution is bring all of everybody the, go back. With everybody Andy. go back with go, yeah, And he comes to that after right. a minute, after Buzz stops a minute away. Yeah, I, I gotta say, uh, we've been on a hot streak. I don't think this one. I think this rule highlights shortcomings in this script. Yeah. Uh, more so than previous rules have kind of highlighted strengths. I couldn't argue with you that much. I thought it was interesting how they added the character of Wheezy to somehow and, right. and do all those things to try and build something more up for Woody, even though I don't think they, it lands at the end of the day. Except Wheezy, I, it, if we can go start going into lowlights or issues that we had to start, Wheezy introduces Woody to the whole plot. At the yard sale, Woody ends up getting seen by Al, and that's how this whole yes. ball of wax gets rolling. Which I don't love either. But it's like eight coincidences. Woody has to save Wheezy, which is fine. So then Wheezy happens to be falling out of Buster's collar, and then Woody happens to fall off, happens to be seen by the girl who has to ask her father, who happens to say they can't buy the doll. Yep. So she happens to throw it back on the table, and while throwing it on the table, his string happens to be pulled, to so he says there's a snake in my boots to get Al's attention. There's like four coincidences right there that really just weren't anywhere in Toy Story 1. Agreed. I hated that. Yeah. Hated that. Yeah. It I, was worse in the uh, deleted scene, where basically Woody was just falling... Like, what do they call those domino sets? Like the big elaborate whatever games of dominoes. Like a uh, Rube Goldberg machine? Rube Goldberg machine. It was basically a Rube Goldberg to get Woody into the box just when. Right. So they kind of kept that in a way, but they gave that whole scenario a reason, and that was Wheezy. I really didn't like that. So they made it better. But I agree with you. So you thought what they put ended up on screen was better than what the original concept was? It was better than what the original concept was. So to me, it's like them fixing some aspects of it. You know, if you make a lot of jokes in between, you're okay. Yeah. Unfortunately. Or fortunately for them, right? So that's interesting. So let's get into some heartbreaks and happiness. Do we have as many heartbreaks? I don't think I do. I only have three. And one's a big one. One's fine, but it didn't really move me as much because I kind of know everything's yeah, gonna work. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a whole lot myself. I think I have, I had four moments highlighted. So Woody's arm, his it rips, and then he has that nightmare, and he's thrown in the trash, and those are stakes. Like that's, we Weezy on the shelf. We I like that, all that a lot because it kind of set the stage for what the the focus would be in the plot of this and in the through line. So the first Toy Story, you could argue we're dealing with Buzz's insecurity about realizing he's a toy Mm -hmm. when he has that final realization and turns into basically a a vegetable at Sid's house. And then he has a psychotic break. Right. Once he realizes he's a toy. So that's, we're dealing with Buzz's psyche. You could even say more so than Woody's. And in this one, we're dealing with Woody's sense of isolation and loneliness and growing too old for Andy. I really like that. I like that scene. I would die for Bullseye. When Bullseye... And Buster, that's, but yes, go on. That, that's another character I would die for. Mm-hmm. Like, Bullseye is Agreed. so adorable. Yeah. So freakishly Just wide-eyed adorable. and happy. And when he, yeah, he's just so happy to be somebody's dog horse. <laughs> I love him so much. So when Bullseye looks at Woody before he leaves, that was a heartbreak. And I, I was, I'll admit that. I, yeah. I was bonded to Bullseye. And then Jesse tells her story. You got the Sarah McLaughlin song. That didn't hit me like I thought it was going to hit me. I was going to say the same thing. So, like, I get, I have that written out as heartbreak, too, because I understand, like, as a Terminator, that humans should feel something to this. Is it Sarah McLaughlin's fault? It might be, man. 1999 was a long time ago. 
That's 20 years ago. Are we so jaded from Sarah McLachlan's song? Possibly. That every movie critic back in 1999 would have immediately heard Sarah McLachlan singing a ballad, and then they're like, all right, fresh tomato. Yes, fresh right. tomato. Maybe. You might be onto something, that that was her peak. Absolutely. But I, I just couldn't. Like, I get it. I have written down, heartbreaking even though the song annoys me. That's my... <laughs> I know. I, maybe I'm a heartless bastard. That's how I feel, too. I didn't feel it. I watched this movie twice, and I, could, I didn't feel enough. Like, I felt for the Jesse character. Yes. You know? But yes. I didn't feel I for wasn't the like, film. I wasn't ready to cry. Right. Not, Not at all. all. Not at all. I agree. It's so funny. All right, I've yeah. been ready to cry like ten times in this <laughs> right. series. Exactly. This rewatch exactly. series. Exactly. And that's kind of the overall... Like, I just didn't... I remember loving this movie so much, yeah. and then on rewatch, it just falls so short. It did. It did. It fell a little short, but there are some moments of happiness. Yeah, there are because I love that opening. That's actually a video game. I loved. I mean, I laughed really hard. I don't know if this is happiness necessarily, but this is enjoyment because Zerg kills him in the video game, and you realize it's a video game. Perfect. Yep. But you love seeing Buzz in his own environment. And you have Woody who can't find his hat. That's funny. I just love being back in Andy's room. <laughs> right? You just want to so see the that, toys that be toys. When that puppy comes into the room and he's like, "Who, who's going to miss me? <laughs> That's the funniest thing and maybe so far. Yeah. I love that so much. I, I'm a big fan of Buster myself. I liked the Andy. If we're having this crisis of conflict, am I grow, is Andy growing too old for me? I like the Andy on the bottom of the shoe playing a couple roles a couple times, both yeah. with Buzz and Woody in this, having painted over and then removed and all that. Uh, I thought that was nice. I thought... In a role reversal from Toy Story 1, we have the callback where where Woody in Toy Story 1 is saying, you are a toy to Buzz. Buzz gets the chance to do the same thing here in a totally different context. Mm-hmm. And it has a different meaning, even though it's the same words. Throwing Woody's words back in his face. I like that in this movie as well. I love Woody meeting that Roundup gang. Like I said, when he's watching his TV show with the rest of the group and he's putting all the words into the animals' mouths. Yeah. That's, that's really <laughs> funny. That's a joke that really, really works. But finally, like when Woody's just playing with Jesse, when they make up and he says he's going to stay and he comes out of there and he does the whole, you know, cowboy walking <laughs> out of the bar swagger thing, the back, swagger, yeah. that was hilarious. Yeah. There is highlights to this, obviously. It is a good movie. I think I have a lot more lowlights and issues, to be honest. I do. So now, but I got a lot of like zinger lines. God, yeah, run, run through them. All right. Uh, I can't believe I have to drive all the way to work on a Saturday. All the way to work. <laughs> and he goes across the street. <laughs> yeah, he almost gets in an accident. Right. Too. Uh, you got the pig flipping the channel super fast. <laughs> I can tell. Can't stop now. I gotta go around the horn. <laughs> Mrs. Potato Head. Don't talk to any toy you don't know. <laughs> That's really funny. Toys crossing the road, wreaking havoc. It is so stupid, but it's really funny. I like that. Like, yep. I wanted explosions. I know they're not going to do that, but I wanted them. I'm also a sucker for any person that has to fight their own clone. It worked for me in Endgame. It works for me here. Am I really that fat? <laughs> that killed me. And of course, the T-Rex chasing the car in homage to Jurassic Park. Are you kidding me? Wonderful. I liked, I liked 70% of the bloopers, and I liked Zerg coming on the elevator the whole zerg thing was fun rex taking out zerg there by accident yeah, I, that, that made me fun. chuckle as well yes it's all i, I agree yeah there, like i said there's there's reasons to be satisfied there's things to laugh about this does have goods attached to it it's certainly by no means it's not a bad film at all right there are issues there are issues 
And there's issues with coincidences. We already highlighted some of those. That's a main one. There's plenty more. If you want to talk about those toys crossing the street, all of a sudden they're both strong enough and capable enough and have found cones that they could fit under and move without all issue. All the cones are there just strewn to the side <laughs> of the road. And you could say the same thing about the the kettle crates at the airport it, at the end. They play it up to the point where there's a piece of gum and then the whole <laughs> truck crashes and the whole giant whatever thing rolls right. and the piece of gum is picked up right before Potato Head is able right. to escape. So he gets stuck because of a piece of gum but he's able to move a giant <laughs> I, traffic cone. I love Buzz's line at the end of that. Great covert maneuver. <laughs> <laughs> that killed me. Uh, but it's funny. It's bad. It doesn't work, but it's funny. I did notice, you know, maybe this is our fault because we've gone up to the teens and then we're going back to the late 90s here. But the animation, there is some... You, you, it's it's amazing how far Pixar's come, is the it way is. to put it. It is. Um, it's better than Toy Story 1. Yes, but there's still some giant setbacks compared to, like, Coco, which is unfair uh, yeah, to say. Yeah, I remember being amazed by all the owl stuff back in the day. Same here. 1999, mm-hmm. close up of the guy eating Cheetos with the Cheeto dust right. on. But now you watch it, it's like, uh, that's a problem. Yeah, that's they didn't look great. It didn't no. look, that's the exact scene I have highlighted when... when Woody accuses Jesse of having turned on the TV when he's trying to get his hat out of Al's pocket. There's I mean, just some things that, oh my God. We are snobs. Right, sure. However, it's not as good as these other Pixar films. Right, right. Look, I mean, the biggest issue is that all the male toys go on the adventure and they leave all the sure. ladies That's home. a big one. That's uh, a big one. I mean, Jesus Christ, 1999, Toy Story. What are we th- What are we saying there? You can't take any of the, you know, Bo Peep can't come. Well, there's not even, that's the, the other thing. There's only two female toys until we're introduced to Jessie, who's only number three. Like, we only have Mrs. Potato Head, Bring who's presented as an elderly woman, and Bo Peep, who's presented as the damsel in distress. That's it. Yes, there's a huge problem with women. There's a huge problem with John Lasseter and women, apparently. Apparently, unfortunately. Um, a story problem I had as well, talking about the, the squad that went on the search and rescue mission. After the other Buzz replaces real Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. What about a great moment to show growth by the ancillary characters or the quote-unquote sidekick characters if they were shown to be capable of figuring things out on their own because they realize they're being led by a doofus, but instead <laughs> they're just following Buzz the entire time, even though they know Buzz is acting like an idiot. Yeah, and coincidentally, like Peter Sellers and being there and Forrest Gump, right. and he's he's able to guide them up to the you know against yeah against what should somehow. happen. Yeah, I hate I did not like that at all, and it had such an opportunity for even the pig to come to the forefront and prove his leadership skills. Let's go, the pig. <laughs> Like, any of those would have been fine. I had an issue with that. And at the end of that whole series, Buzz and the other toys, they, like, they gone through hell to get there, Mike. Right. Woody's like, no, I don't want to be your friend anymore. (laughs) And they leave. Okay, see ya. (laughs) Right. They leave. They go through hell. They risk life and limb. And, Mike, they should kidnap Woody for his own good at that point. Taking out even what I'm about to bring up as my biggest issue, this is a weak script. And it's tough to say because they had to do it in nine months, for right. Christ's sake. You know, I mean, uh, the and whole production, the whole backstory really, is against them. To do it in nine months, you better write the damn script in like a week. Right. Yeah, sure. It's a great, even better point. Yeah. Right. right. So it's impossible that this movie is as good as it is. I mean, if this was one of those 24-hour film festival things, or 36-hour film, whatever. Right. I mean, I've done those before. This is the best one ever. <laughs> Ever, ever, ever. So I will give them credit. Like, all right, we got to tell a feature-like film in one weekend. All right, let's go. Exactly, exactly. So they deserve all kinds of kudos and credits. Right. 
all of that said, <laughs> the last 20 minutes of this movie are preposterous. Utterly preposterous. On so many levels. <laughs> are they fun at times? Yes. Sure. But you're right. As soon as the toys decide to chase Al going to the airport and commandeer the Pizza Planet truck, this movie goes off the fucking reservation. It's hard to drive a car. <laughs> as human beings. <laughs> yes. It's hard. Why are we telling kids it's not that hard? It didn't like, work in Finding Dory. It's not going to work here. Yeah, but seven, like they needed to crash horrifically and somehow. Don't, don't tell this to kids either. This is the bad thing to tell the kids. Yes, uh, I hey, hate it. Three of you can drive your mommy's car. So they get from Al's toy barn, <laughs> driving a truck through traffic to the airport. Right. Then they get to the airport. We're met with another coincidence. There just happens to be empty kennel crates laying about that they can again get in and move with. Ridiculous. Yep. Coincidai. They get they get to the baggage claim. They have this big final conflict with Stinky Pete. Okay, for, for a quick. It was like he's like a rival. And like the way they defeat yeah. him is knowing how to use really high end camera equipment yeah. with no questions. No, they rear windowed him. They definitely. <laughs> They just oh rear windowed him, and it didn't really like how. Why? Who cares? It's just because the camera equipment had the same suitcase as that right. suitcase. Yes. What? <laughs> I agree. I agree. It's kind of ridiculous. And the flash of the camera is what undoes Pete. He just totally—he's befuddled. He's defeated after one camera flash. Okay, we get to the plane because. Buzz and Woody are too busy slapping themselves on the ass for beating Stinky Pete. Yeah. They don't actually save Jesse. So Jesse keeps going down the conveyor belt, gets loaded into the plane. Woody gets on the plane. The plane is going down the runway. Mike, hmm. you're telling me a stuffed small horse can keep pace with an airplane going towards liftoff you on a know, runway. You didn't notice? <laughs> Like, like, Bullseye is not only keeping pace. I'm, like, doing the thing with my arms, like, yeah. on Bullseye. He's not only keeping pace with the plane, but it's Bullseye's decision to drop back. Like, he's in charge of the speed of all this, <laughs> to drop back so what he can do is daring rescue with Jesse. I, I, I'm with you a thousand percent. <laughs> I'm with you a thousand percent. It is utterly I wrote this in all caps, but a fucking galloping bullseye who apparently can now also keep pace with a fucking airplane catches up, catches for Buzz to catch it. Okay. Big save. <laughs> Everyone's rescued. Andy's mom is the worst parent in the history of parents. Yeah. She comes home and sees in her child's bed there's somebody that has drawn an Etch-A-Sketch, Welcome Home Andy, and has given her child, her young son, three new toys yep. on his bed where her child lays his head and has no questions about any of this. The windows are open. Never and mind the, the baggage yeah. cart that's across the street that happens to be laying on the street. Your home has been invaded, ma'am! Yeah, and it's also the beginning of Insomnia, the movie with uh, Robin Williams and the serial murderer and Al Pacino. Yeah, there's a lot of gifts from an admirer. <laughs> this is creepy this is, shit. It's creepy. All of that is very true. Again, the greatest 36-hour film festival ever. Yes. I'm with you. It's yep. utterly ridiculous. It's also fa one of the Fast and Furious movies, I want you to know. <laughs> it's, it's a good, yeah, it's good point. That's a good point. Movie. The biggest issue I have with all of it is that they show Jesse 
doing like all these backflips. Like physically, she is amazing. And now she's just a damsel in distress. And then again. they just reduce her to a yep. damsel in distress. Like why couldn't she save all of them in the end of the scene? I mean, look, I get it. No, nineteen ninety nine. They're chauvinists. You're right. I get it. Or they're not thinking, and it's made by a bunch of guys. But why show her do all those other crazy awesome things, and then just reduce her to right. a fetal position inside the green case at the end of the movie? It's a great question. It's short sighted, absolutely. And there wasn't a lot of women's names. Pixar would fix this. They would invite women into the writers' room. Thank God, they would feature women more prominently, even though they at first didn't handle it well. We talked to go back and listen to our Brave episode when they wanted to have their first female director and the yeah. disaster that turned into. Yeah. So they just have a history of not, whether behind the scenes or even on screen, they don't handle female characters well. And it's sad. Uh, and hopefully it can be fixed and, and it'll continue to improve. Toy Story 4 looks like it's a big change. And Toy Story 3 was as well. So we have our hopes up pretty high for it. Let's do some final thoughts yeah. here, Mike. Is this a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, it's one of those things where it's just like, all right, C plus, B minus, kind of, I know we're not grading. Yeah, I'd, I'd go around a B even. I'd go B minus B. Yeah, for, I, I like, it's, it's a fine, and again, if you take, the backstory I think only helps the grade. Yeah. But, to answer your question, if you take the Rotten Tomatoes, this is the point we made earlier, if you take the Rotten Tomatoes score and you're just asking if, whether this movie's worth seeing or not, obviously it is. But if you're going to go and die on the hill for the first movie to get 100, this is not the movie I would pick, not out of Pixar's. Three, maybe. 88 Metascore. In, uh, it's, That's uh, there were so many articles that came out at the time that said that this is one of the rare sequels that improves upon its origin story. Uh, at the time, I felt this way. You said you didn't. No way, right? No way. It might be funnier. It might have more jokes. Sure, maybe. And if you laugh more and you, you get emotional and you cry at the yodeling cowboy girl. Sure, if you want to, yeah. Does it deliver goods? And then, you know, it's got jokes at the end. Robert Goulet... Fun stuff like that. Can we adopt these millions? <laughs> I've never seen someone love George Costanza's mother in the way that you seem to love George Costanza's All mother. All of that is adorable. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. There's There are goods here. Yeah. Now, I mean, Toy Story 1, we were gushing about Great nostalgia, story. the story, it's the plot, t- yeah. the attachment. We, there's just not that They honed here. it for seven years. Right. Pretty much. This one they did in a weekend. Right, yeah, and that's, they maybe that's... maybe w- they had some wiggle room to hone it as they went, but most for the most part, once you set the, you know once you set the printer, it takes nine months to do the printing kind of thing. But, I mean, yeah, they can fix stuff, but no, you're tough. you're hitting on some very important points, and it's important to remember. And that's why we're not, you know, I have if this was done in a lot of other movies, it would bother me a lot more. Yeah, but because it's in the land of toys, you can get away with that explanation as well. Because of the backstory, it, it was so rushed and so under time, and to have this come out at all is an amazing and a tribute to the company in and of itself. So I'm more forgiving of it now. But to say, even at the time, that this was better than Toy Story 1, I don't understand. So Andrew Stanton told a, uh, a story, and uh, he did it at a TED Talk. I watched it for one of the videos that just popped up. Mm-hmm. And he goes, so Andrew Stanton, Finding Nemo? Yes. All right. Wally, whatever. Yeah. Says he's in a bar and he's telling the story to TED Talk. And he goes, I, I met this guy who's like, I built this bar with my bare hands. Why don't they call me Bill the Bar Builder? Why don't they call me? Why am I, why am I known for this? You see that stone wall outside? I built that stone wall. I took every rock. I put it on the thing. Why don't they call me Bill the Stone Wall Builder? 
but you fuck one goat. <laughs> <laughs> and what they understand said was, you know, storytelling is joke telling. It's joke telling. And you need to get those fundamentals right. And to me, this was like, all right, we got those big whammy moments in. This movie has all of that. It could, like, the whole story that I gave about the stone wall, you're looking at me like, where is he going? Right, yeah, this? I had no idea what you were talking you're, about. You're building the, build yeah. the bar builder. That's a terrible name. That wasn't the name he mentioned in the TED Talk. <laughs> it, I, don't, I couldn't remember if it was an Irish bar or a Scottish right. bar because he went to Ireland or Scotland. <laughs> Bottom line, I effed up that joke from the jump, and yet I had the punchline right, and I, I yeah, you know, had yeah. something right. Yeah. So I think that encapsulates this whole episode. Yeah, pieces of, of <laughs> genius... But whereas you get the punchline right, maybe Toy Story faltered a little on their punchline. Maybe the setup made you laugh the hard, harder than the punchline. Yeah. No. <laughs> maybe the you know the other setup made you cry. Not my setup. Uh, that's a good joke. I'll have to remember that. That's a good joke. Uh, look, as you can hear my dog putting in her true sense in the background, uh, are we right or are we wrong? Do you remember this finally? Do you, are you one of those people is that it better than Toy Story this 1? is better than Toy Story 1? Tell us. We want to hear from you. Thoughts, questions, comments, concerns about this or anything we've done in the Pixar Rewatch series, anything we've done in the MMO Empire, we want to hear from you. As always, we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, MM and Oscar on the Twitter machine, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts. Tune in, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify. If you appreciate what we're doing, I know we're putting out a lot of content for you to consume right now. Uh, if you can take a couple seconds out of your day give us the five star review on itunes those truly do go a long way we've been getting a couple more of them so we really really do appreciate that yes, thank and you. thank you for all of you who have submitted michael what's coming next and what's some words of wisdom for these fine people i don't know what's coming next nah, makes two of us had the production <laughs> meeting yet we're basically trying to find a way to, to perform the mental gymnastics necessary over the next uh, you know 15 minutes to where we push cars one two and three till next week well at least the weekend i think jackie brown can be done next so, okay so you already made up your mind i think yeah i think that's feasible all right so jackie brown tarantino rewatch part three we got cars one two and three that right now is going to be put in its own episode we we're going to have to talk about that we should just make that a two minute fucking review and say the franchise sucked. <laughs> it's a black mark. <laughs> Disney and Pixar had ah, a divorce. I'm too tired. I won't argue with you if you really want to do it. But I think we... we I don't know. And then we'll end it with a car honk. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do a cover of whatever the famous car song is. Go ahead. Impromptu, completely unprofessional cover. I think it was a Sheryl Crow song, so I'm, I'm done. Or the, like uh, Life is a Highway from Rascal Flatts. We'll Life just, is a... Yeah. You can't wait. That's what it's all country great. music sounds like to but me. But that's what's next. We got MMOW. Can just I offend it. more people with generalized statements at the end of this episode? <laughs> I don't know why you go for those statements at the end or the beginning of any episode, but you do. You tend to. Not a smart man. You that's leave, all it is. You leave. Well, you, they, they remember. They remember something coming from the outro. That's good. Guys, when reality or I suck, no. you can come watch movies with us uh, trying to make award season year-round without all the stuffiness. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We appreciate your listening. We will hear from you and get to you soon. See you.